welcome to Thinking Philosophy. I'm Deborah Stone, coming to you from Australian Catholic University, where we believe in asking the big questions. When we talk about ethics, we generally focus on our relationships with other people. But an important part of what motivates and controls our behaviour is how we think about ourselves. Today's philosopher believes our understanding of human dignity is a key factor in the kind of society we build, not only because it informs our attitudes to others, but also because it drives our own sense of self-worth. Dr David Kirkhoffer is Director of the Queensland Bioethics Centre at the Australian Catholic University. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you. What do you mean by the term human dignity? So, dignity is a bit of a funny word in that we use it for all sorts of things. Uh, so asking what one means is a good question to start with. Um, a good translation, if you like, would or good synonym would be worth. So when Immanuel Kant talks about dignity, he's writing in German, he uses the word Würde, which is the, in English is a Germanic language, uh, would translate that as worth. But because we have all of these Romance languages influences, we can also use the word dignity and they're kind of synonymous. So if you think about it as worth, worth is just different from notions of price or value. So that you might add to the utility of a thing. So uh, any anything has a price, you know, which is we think about in market terms as saying, well, the price of that is what someone else is prepared to pay because they think it's able to do this job for them. Whereas worth is beyond price. So dignity is, is, is expressing something that's beyond price. So when you want to think about it in ethical terms, we don't want to reduce it simply to its utility or its price, its cost. Um, we want it to mean something more than that. Uh, and to say that then we're talking about human dignities, we're talking about the worth of the human being or the human person when we're thinking uh, about morality. So as a subject of our moral reflection, the human person, what is the worth of that being when we think about morality. If we reduce human worth merely to price, well, then you are what we're pre what someone's prepared to pay for you. You're just to become an economic value. Uh, the notion of human dignity says we're worth more than merely price. In fact, we would like to say that our worth is unpriceable and therefore we can never merely be reduced to our economic value, our utility. We have a vi we have a worth that is that is more than, and in, many would argue, absolute uh, when thinking in moral terms. And why is dignity important as a motivator of ethical behaviour? Well, it motivates us because the other way in which we can think about dignity, so we can talk about dignity as a worth in a third-person sense. So you might say all human beings have an inherent worth, an inherent dignity by virtue of being human. But we can also talk about dignity in a first-person sense. I can talk about my dignity, right, my worth, or my perception of my worth. And that's really quite important because there's no sense in talking only about a third-person sense of worth if I can never experience it in a first-person sense, right, that, that I have worth, that I have dignity. And I would argue that our experience of the world is such that when we encounter many of the challenges of being human, in other words, those things that seem to undermine our worth, 
right? The threat of dying when you walk out the door because someone might attack you and kill you, uh, or you know, you might be run over a bus, or you know, all of these things challenge our worth, right? Here I am saying I, I'm my life is meaningful and purposeful, but of course I'm vulnerable at every moment, and that experience of vulnerability causes us to then ask the question: Is my life meaningful and purposeful? And one of the ways in which we want to answer that question is to say yes and when I do that I'm affirming my self-worth the, the, the value or the worth of my being a, a, a person and so in in terms of morality that desire to want to affirm my worth in a world which is ambiguous about whether it's I should be here or not as an experience pushes me to engage in that world in ways that will affirm my feeling of being worthwhile or being worthy. And I, whenever I engage with the world in that way, I'm engaging in what we might call moral behavior. As a, now, that's to, not to say it's necessarily morally good or morally bad. It's just to say a kind of behavior that you would call moral behavior. It's the kinds of behavior that we would judge or make evaluations about as being morally good or bad or morally right or morally wrong. So I would argue that our, when, we, when we're engaging in moral behavior, what we're really trying to do is assert or affirm, maybe is a better way to say that, to affirm our own sense of worth at a subjective first-person level uh, in a world where often our experiences seem at odds with that, that, that our, our life is perhaps meaningless and purposeless. Our moral engagement is a way through which we, inf- we affirm our meaningfulness and purposefulness in life. And that might involve how we act upon other people, but it doesn't necessarily. Well, it, it, I mean, that depends on how, yeah. So it can, it, that, then you go into the whole moral psychology of what that might mean. So um, it, 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 it will have, impact, it have implications for how I engage with any relationship. So those might be people, but I also uh, am in engaging all the time in relationship to everything in the world. I engaged with the natural environment. I engage with myself as a mind-body whole, so my, my mind and my body are in a, in a, in a relationship of sorts. Uh, so how I experience my own body is, is part of that. How I experience the, the natural world and my dependency on it, that I need food and water and clean air and all of those things that are necessary for my survival. How I engage with individual others, human beings. Um, how I engage with social institutions, uh, the, the, the structures around us that we've created as human beings that are essential now to our survival. We could have had other structures, but we have these ones. And now that those ones are in place, they become part of what it means to be human in a really profound way. Think about uh, the financial system and banks. To, to live in a world where there are no banks is, is a, is a for the vast majority of people, an, imp- an impossibility. It's not even like mm, a choice anymore. You can't do it. You can't live in Australia and earn an income or even get welfare without a bank account, right? So you have to have a relationship with a bank. And so in our interactions with those kinds of institutions, we are always experiencing a vulnerability because, let's face it, no one, well, very few people would say they love their bank, Right. <laughs> So you experience a kind of this grudge relationship where the bank is at, the, at one on one hand the necessary for my survival and flourishing in in contemporary society, but it's not a relationship I necessarily want to be in. And so my engagements with the bank as moral engagements will be based on how do I affirm myself the worth 
again, over and against an institution that tells me they love me, but doesn't always seem to play that out, right? The marketing is, oh, we think you're awesome. Come to my bank. We'll look after you. And then you go, okay, look after me. And they go, well, no, the computer says, no, you're not worthy enough to get this loan or you know, have that kind of a bank account. That person over there is, they get the special credit card. You don't get it. You know, so those things can be very, um, even in those experiences, can affect our sense of our worth and we have to find other ways to then build that up again. And then we react, so that's in terms of uh, relationships of, of, you know, concrete relationships, but we're also in relationship to time. So how we respond to our own sense of self in history, the my past self and my future self, right? Um, there is a way in which I have to be accountable to my past self, but I also want to be able to make decisions now, moral decisions now, such that my future self will be able to stick to those moral decisions and see those as being the right thing, to be able to look back and go, yes, I did the right thing. So I'm in relationship to myself as a historical being in space and time. Um, you know, the, if I make a promise now, for example, I'm placing an obligation on a future self that doesn't really yet exist to, to keep that promise, which is a bit of a challenge when you think about it. So having that consistency about the vision for who I want to be, the kind of person I want to be, in other words, what would constitute for me dignity, the having of dignity, is really important because I will live out my future decisions along that line. Um, and then we're, we're also in relationship to the history of humanity in the broader sense. right? So I uh, experience myself as a particular individual but my whole history is shaped by the history of humanity and my place in that history. And that has implications for how I feel worth or don't feel worth. If I belong uh, to a group in a society that has been told for thousands of years or hundreds of years or tens of years that they're a worthless group and that they are, are not of, a, of an equivalent worth or dignity, and you think, for example, of the slave trade, you know, you had a whole group of people that as people, as a group, were deemed to be less than human or at least inferior in some way, not having the same kind of worth. They were able to be sold and bartered and, and for their, their worth was only a, a price, not a dignity. And so for a person in that, in that um, time, but even as a, as a descendant of a person who, was a, who comes from a slave tradition, or slave, has come out of slavery, in today's time, we're still in relationship to that as well. So what does it mean now to be that person who is a descendant of that? Similarly, what does it, what does it mean to be the descendant of the slave owner in terms of an understanding of how that implies my um, uh, own sense of worth? And if, 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 we, if, we, if we acquire worth through our moral behaviour, if our dignity is realised, maybe is a better way to put it, through the moral behaviour in which we engage, uh, what is my history as a as a member of the human species and my place in that history of humanity mean for how I should behave now to affirm both my worth and the worth of other people? So do you work from an assumption that everybody has the same degree of human dignity, the same right to human dignity? Uh, yes and no, I think, is the answer to that question. <laughs> so... Uh, certainly as a right, yes, um, if you're going to use that language. I mean, that's in itself a little bit confusing because some would argue that dignity is the basis of rights. So it's because you have dignity and everybody has that same inherent dignity uh, 
or worth that we have rights. Others would say, no, you have a right to dignity. And that's about saying you have a right to be treated a certain way or you have a right to pursue a sense of self-worth. So you can see the two senses in which that word is used. So talking about dignity as a basis of rights versus a right to human dignity implies a different understanding of what we mean by dignity in the first place. Um, but I think both things can be absolutely true. So I think it's true to say that all human beings already have an inherent worth that is a dignity that inheres in their being human, um, that is equal, and therefore the basis of rights, which are equal demands of equality, right? You have as much a right to, to an education as I have a right to an education. That's the, the idea of a universal human right. It's universal for all human beings. What do you ground those on? Well, you ground that on the idea that all human beings have the same basic moral worth. So if they all have the same basic moral worth, then they have uh, they all have the same rights in terms of entitlements, to certain kinds of freedoms uh, and certain kinds of provisions in a society. But when you start to talk about a right to dignity, um, that's a slightly different way of framing it. And that would say, I would say, yes, all human beings have a right to pursue the realization of their worth as a human being in the subjective sense, so to feel good about themselves, in other words. Everyone has a right to feel a sense of self-worth in the first-person sense. But not everyone has a right to do that any way they like. That's the key difference. So just as I might say you have a right um, to free speech, that doesn't mean you can say whatever you want because there are other rights that will shape that. Mm -hmm. And so dignity functions in a certain way that everyone has a right to realise a sense of self-worth in their life, to make their lives morally meaningful, but they don't have a right to do that in a way that would undermine the dignity and worth of another person. So if I believe, for example, that the best way for me to um, realize my own sense of self-worth is to oppress other people through violence, right? If I'm the strongest in the room and I can bash anybody else in the room and everyone's afraid of me, I feel like I'm really tough stuff, then I'm in charge. Then I feel like my life has meaning and purpose because I'm tough and I feel good about myself. Now, whilst that might, there's a certain logic to that, on the grounds of human dignity, that's very problematic because my sense of worth is entirely reliant on my oppression of other people. In other words, denial of other people's capacity to, to, to stand up and feel like they have worth. So that's what makes slavery wrong, right? So slavery is wrong because it's the, 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 the superiority or the feeling of worth of some is dependent precisely on the oppression of others and making them less than human. So is that how we justify, for example, imprisoning someone? We're taking away their freedom, which certainly takes away some of their rights. Does it also take away some of our sense of their worth? Well, it shouldn't. Um, sometimes it does, but it's not supposed to. So the idea is you we would be limiting, I mean, this is how you, it depends on how you understand what imprisonment is and why we put people in jail. Um, uh, if I understand jail... Uh, or imprisonment, or the, 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 shall we say, more broadly speaking, the limitation of a person's liberty of movement, freedom of movement, as being necessary to help them and uh, become a better person and protect us from whatever they might have been doing, rather than simply as a punishment, um, then indeed what you're saying is the reason we l limit their uh, um, freedom of movement is because they're a danger to other people, so that they could be damaging other people's dignity, right? Um, but also because we want to create an opportunity that would enable us to help find them, for them, better ways to realise a sense of self-worth for themselves, right? 
so typically, if you look at you know what most of our crimes are, when we think about, them, we think they're, they're crimes against other people. Not all of them. Some things are crimes against institutions and otherwise. But typically, we're looking at behaviours that are about the exertion of myself over and against someone else in, in a form of power. Um, not always, but often. And when that's the case, then you say, well, are there not better ways to find meaning and purpose in your life than through violent behavior against someone else? And a lot of research suggests, and this is empirical psychological research, suggests that, that of course that's possible. People can find better avenues to find meaningful and, and purposeful uh, uh, life. But until such time as a person is, is able to do that and they remain a danger to themselves or someone else, then it's legitimate for a society to limit their freedom. But you limit it precisely because you respect the worth that inheres in the human being. It is a belief in that the potential that inheres in their being human uh, enables them to, to reform, to be a better person, to be a person who can contribute meaningfully to society and to the dignity of others in a, in a constructive way, provided you can correct their own understanding of what a con, uh, constitutes uh, a, a legitimate conception of my own worth or dignity and a legitimate means to pursue that. Does that mean that human dignity inherently is an argument against the death penalty? In that, in that understanding, certainly, right? So that, that argument would say there is this inherent worth that exists in the human person. If we were... There's two ways to view that against it in terms of, in terms of arguments against the death penalty. One would say there's an inherent worth in, in the human person and that's inviolable, so we cannot... We can't touch that. Um, so we as the justice system, whatever it is, the society, cannot become guilty precisely of the crimes that you're trying to think. So if, if all human beings have dignity and all crimes in, somehow, in some way are a violation of that inherent dignity, to build a justice system that ultimately itself violates that human dignity is crazy. Right? You can't do that. It's, a, it's inconsistent. So you might say, well, they have worth. Uh, because they have worth, we can't we can't execute a person who we're saying has worth on the grounds that we they, they violated someone else's worth. It doesn't it's make like any sense. It's like hitting someone because they hit someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that doesn't really work as a logic. Um, but the other reason why you might want to use dignity in that sense is saying it's because they have worth that we believe the justice system can work. In other words, that there is a, that they are reformable. In other words, you're not demonising a criminal that's saying, look, they're beyond help, they're either evil... Or crazy. That's pretty much what our justice system does at the moment. And James Gilligan is a really interesting person to read in this regard. He's a clinical psychologist. And he, he talks about, you know, everyone's either mad or bad in the current justice system, mm. in the way we, could, we often conceive of justice. If you're bad, you go to jail. And if you're mad, then you, it's an insanity plea and you're basically put in jail anyway, right? Just a different kind of jail. But we don't have any way to, to get people out of that idea. So you, you're demonised... Um, or dehumanized, one of the two. Whereas the affirmation of worth is a, is a saying, no, you have dignity, you are human, and what we want our justice system to do is enable you to be human in the best possible way. So it really changes the way you think about why you might want to limit um, a person's freedom of movement. But it's no different than, you know, we, we have all sorts of things, we have all sorts of limits placed on us uh, for the same reason. Um, and that we that we freely accept those limits, uh, and if we don't accept them, that's when we actually can be doing something bad for ourselves or someone else. A good example is traffic laws. Generally speaking, it's a good idea to stick to them. 
because they're there to make sure that when we're all engaged in getting from one place to another, we're not putting ourselves or someone else in harm's way, right? And so we all accept that limitation. We should accept it. Some people don't. But we're supposed to accept it all the time. And that's why those who don't become a risk to society. And so we create penalties to try and bring them back. Um, and at the base level, we create the law. Because if you just obey the law, then everyone will be safe. But ideally, what you want people to see is realize why the law is there. Because then the motivation to stick to the law is higher. Because I can recognize that by, by obeying the law myself, I'm respecting your dignity as another driver on the road. Um, I'm safer and you're safer. So we can both go on in our pursuit of meaningful and purposeful lives. Me respecting your dignity is one thing. But how about the issue of me respecting my own dignity? Are there situations where ethical behaviour is not just about how I feel about you or how I act upon you, but also about how I act upon myself and how I feel about my own self? Yeah, absolutely. So... If we, if we take this idea that when we talk about dignity, we can use it both in a third-person sense, me or second-person sense, right? You, me versus you, third-person sense, whole of humanity, but also in the first-person sense, my dignity, then the, the way I conceive of what it means to have this life that is, that is a worthwhile, meaningful life um, may be realized in a number of ways. Let's say I choose a particular profession, Right? then um, to be a person who is uh, realizing their sense of worth in that profession, it means also doing the right thing by that profession. And I will know whether or not, this is entirely internal, whether or not I'm actually living up to those expectations, whether it's visible to anyone else or not. So you could have a person who on paper looks like they're doing the right thing, right? They don't do anything wrong. But internally, there's all sorts of internal dialogue about what looks like they're doing the right thing. If I become a doctor really just to make money, I could be a very good doctor, but I'm, but I'm not being a doctor inside. I'm being someone who's making money inside. Do you know what I mean? My motivations mm -hmm. are simply about the money. Whereas if I become a doctor because I believe in the value of medicine and how that's an important thing and I'm contributing, and that's the thing that I draw my meaning from, then there's a different kind of integrity to what it means to be that kind of doctor than a person who just got the job because they needed the money, right? The other person also did it for the money, don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with doing it to get the money, but it's about how one understands the profession in relation to one's own self-understanding. That has then, of course, implications outwards as well because it keeps me true to what I think the values are of the profession and I'm less liable to just bend the rules to suit certain interests at a certain time. There's an integrity to my own uh, behaviour. Um, the, the language used in ethics about that sort of idea is the idea of virtue. Right? So we develop virtues. Virtues can belong to individuals, but also you could argue to professions. And virtues are, are the, uh, the, the, the things we aspire to through the development of habits. So we develop good habits makes us a virtuous person. And in this case, the by developing the right understanding of human dignity, I'm more not, in other words, my dignity, what my worth would look like, then I'm more inclined to to um, act that out in 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 my relationships as well, in ways that are then true to who I believe I should be. Right. So you can make the distinction: a person could give alms to the poor, but do it because they're pride, right? 
Um, so what dignity does in this sense is, no, you're giving alms to the poor because you really believe in lifting the dignity of other people. There's a different motive in there. So this way of thinking about ethics is a way of thinking about what's going on inside us, not just how we act upon the world. Yes, it's a both and. I mm-hmm. mean, um, because it has the capacity to also talk about just how we act in the world, right? I can I can I can see something happening in a third person way. So that's a violation of dignity, right? Those people's dignity is being violated because they're being demonized or dehumanized. But I can also use it internally to say, how is my dignity being realized through my own behavior here? What is it about what I'm doing that is um, making me a better person, right? And and making the world a better place. There seem to be a lot of forces working on us which make it difficult for us to have this life of dignity. Do you have a sense as to why that is? Um, I think, yeah, well, I mean, I suppose it depends on, there's, there, as I said earlier, we're in relation to all sorts of things. And those relationships have an impact on how we form ourselves as human beings. Um, those are be the relationship, our experience of relationships to individual people, our experiences of our relationships to the environment, our experiences of our relationships to ourselves, our experiences of our relationships to institutions, and so on. So, if if one grows up in a in a in a in a in a culture or a structure in which those institutions continually tell you that you are worth nothing, well, you'll start to believe that. In fact, you won't ever believe otherwise. It takes a great deal of courage and wisdom to actually recognize that that's not the case if that's all you've ever been told you know you Mm. you might say you don't know what you don't know to recognize that you don't know and that you actually are worth something is a really fascinating problem um so i do think that the 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 structures in which we uh live as human beings um it's not that they always work against dignity obviously we have structures that have been designed to work for dignity but there's a there's a vulnerability in our structures to moving away from dignity. And I think that happens when other values start to kick in. So the person who understands their worth, which is the strong desire to feel like I have something, and are prepared to say that that I can get that at the expense of other people and accept that as a real way of achieving that, that's the opposite of dignity. And that is that plays out all the time, right? You, you know, in history of philosophy, um, that's been uh, said a number of ways. One thinks, for example, of um, Thomas Hobbes and his idea that human beings are all just wolves and uh, what we really need structure is good structures to prevent us from just killing each other because all we really want to do is we're very selfish and we just, we'll just use power to get whatever we want. And uh, there's, there's probably some empirical truth to that kind of stuff. So we see that in some ev- evolutionary psychology, but we also see that we are... Uh, evolved to be social beings. So this, this this connection between our social nature as human beings and our selfishness, which is a natural phenomenon as well, is played out in that tension. So those things are happening all the time. Ethics or morality is not about what we are, per se, in that sense, but how we ought to behave, right? And the ought in this case comes by saying the recognition that my dignity ultimately relies on the dignity of other people. If 
if other people don't have a fully realized dignity or don't have the potential to fully realize their dignity, then my dignity, no matter how wonderful I am, is always going to be never fully realized. So there's a not yet element to the notion of human dignity. Um, and I can never hold a position that makes me... I can never feel good about myself by doing something that undermines the goodness of someone else, the fundamental goodness in terms of the worth of someone else. There's a lot of behaviour around in everyday parlance that we would call undignified. When we use that language, do you think we are identifying a genuine philosophical split between what's really happening and the world as it should be? Or are we using the term dignity in some other way? Um, so the undignified in, in that sense, again, if you think about it in terms of worth, right, it's an unworthy behaviour, right? It's 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 behaviour that we don't think a human being ought to be doing, right? It's beneath us, and we've used there's all sorts of synonyms that we we go back through language, language you know, words that we use now quite, uh, you know, notion of uh, words like savage, barbarian, uh, which you know, arguably historically may not have been the people who were barbarians probably didn't feel themselves to be undignified, but they've kind of found their way through our language to imply that that these kinds of people are not living up to the standard of what a human being really should be. Now, whatever that standard is, we have to, that's another question. Um, but this idea that you can uh, behave in ways that are not commensurate with uh, our capacities fullness of our capacities and the realization of those capacities I think is a is a good concept right um, you can engage in undignified behavior behavior that doesn't um, either correspond to what we're capable of or doesn't correspond to the criterion of recognizing the dignity or worth of other people adequately well, without naming names, I'm sure listeners will have no problem thinking of uh, political leaders or other public figures who fit that description. Dr. David Kirchhofer, thank you so much for joining us on Thinking Philosophy, a podcast of the Australian Catholic University. Thanks to to Amiel Matthews and Trey Karunaratna, our talented media production people here at ACU, for their work on the show. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to share it and rate it on your podcast provider so other people can enjoy it too. I'm Deborah Stone and you've been listening to Thinking Philosophy.